everyone. I will, uh, I'll uh, start a little bit early just by introducing myself, and then we'll let any stragglers come in. So this is Balanced Budget, Balanced Life. I'm Raleigh Demas, your, your host for this hour. Raise your hand if you're not from Ohio. No, right now. I'm not from Ohio. Uh, and my wife, Tammy. My wife, Tammy, is here with me today. So I work at the Assemblies of God National Office in Springfield, Missouri. So it's great uh, to be invited here by Kyle and Amy. Thank you very much to be with you guys. I love these all-church ministries conferences. And uh, Ohio does it well. So I'm enjoying myself. Um, I work at the AG National Office. I'm their internal audit director. Okay, raise your hand if you're an internal auditor. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, there's only a few of us that like what we do, and I'm one of them. 34 years as internal audit. First with the Army, um, right, making sure we spend the government money wisely. Um, I didn't have much success, so I left. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, went to the Assemblies of God National Office, and so I have a little bit more success there. You'll be glad to know that. We're good stewards. Good stewards of God's resources. Um, I also run the Empowering Stewardship Program, which I'll tell you a little bit towards the end of the session, more about that. So on a daily basis... I get to help churches with their finances, their corporate finances. Um, so if you want to talk about church budgets, I could talk to you about church budgets. But this session is about personal budgets. And so whether it's corporate finance or your personal finance, um, I've, uh, I'm, I don't know. I've just got some answers there. So I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Our topic today comes from this book, Balanced Budget, Balanced Life. 10 Steps to Transforming Your Finances, and I've titled this session, Five Principles to Stress Less About Finances and Enjoy a Balanced Life. Wouldn't that be nice, right? As I um, talk with pastors, talk with churches, talk with church boards, um, talk with church leaders, money is a common stress point, whether it's uh, our church world, our ministries, our ministry budget, um, or is our personal life. Money can be a stress factor. So um, the Bible has a lot to say about money. We know that. Jesus talked a lot about money. Being good stewards, um, how we handle it, how we use our money to bless others. The Bible has a lot to say. And so even though some of these practical steps that we'll talk about. Uh, and then let me say, so the practical steps that we're going to talk about are rooted in Scripture. And I think you'll be able to see that as we go along. All right, so shall we get started? First, let's talk about some stats. Why do I think finances are such a stress point for, for us today, whether we're in the church whether we run the church or whether we're just the average American, 
just here in the U.S., finances are a common stress point. Recent surveys have found that almost 70% of us do not have a household budget. 50% of us live paycheck to paycheck from week to week. And in the church world, we sometimes see this. We call it work living from offering plate to offering plate. So, but we also do it in our personal lives as well. A third of us have less than $500 in savings, and 20% of us have nothing uh, in savings, nothing saved for an emergency fund. We'll talk about the emergency fund just in a little bit. Other surveys find some of the same kind of stats. Two-thirds of us as workers, as employees, struggle to make ends meet. Again, um, 75% of us live paycheck to paycheck. If we're working, even with jobs, we struggle to make ends meet. Uh, and 50% of us have to work a second job to make, uh, to make ends meet. Are there any pastors in the room? Ministers? Couple, 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 couple. Interesting, just a side, rabbit trail. I'll do a couple rabbit trails. Uh, our pastors sometimes have to work second jobs to make ends meet as well, right? We don't go into ministry to get rich. I wish we could. I hope that you do. Uh, so what do you think the stat is for pastors that have to work second jobs? A little lower, a little lower. I, I love it. <laughs> In the assemblies of God, it's 40%. Need second jobs to make ends meet. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's surprising. I'm glad that's surprising to you guys. Sometimes, the converse, we think our pastor's okay. He makes enough. And we don't realize that our pastors, our church leaders, are in the same boat as all the average Americans. We are all struggling, and that includes church workers, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But you guys, we all know that anyone who makes six figures or more never struggles. Right? Do you make six figures? No, they struggle too, which kind of surprises me. I'm like, once I get there, I should, I should, it should be easy, right? No, 51% of people who make six figures, 100,000 or more, uh, still live paycheck to paycheck. So, so here's the key takeaway. It doesn't matter whether you make a little or you make a lot. We can all have financial stress. And so these principles will help you whether you make a little or you make a lot. We all need to follow the same principles. Let me just digress just a little bit more and talk about pastors. Since I work at the AG National Office and I work with pastors in churches, we've done financial surveys of our ministers in the Assemblies of God. We have 37,000 ministers in the Assemblies of God. And um, part of the reason why we wrote the book was because we knew our pastors were struggling with finances. So 45% of our pastors in the AG make less than 30,000, make $30,000 or less. We have, some, I've already told you that um, that 40% of our pastors work a second job, but did you know that some of our pastors are on welfare because they're not making enough money? So 14% of our ministers under 45 um, 
have to receive food stamps to make ends meet. Some of our pastors do it for free. 14% do it for free. Uh, I hope that that's their choice and not because the church just can't afford it. Um, but a third of our pastors report financial stress. 40% think there's no room for improvement. They don't see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. More than a third have considered leaving the ministry, and 75% of our pastors know someone who left ministry because of finances. And I'm sure that's not what they felt when they were going into ministry. God's called me. What was the class right before here? I feel a call. Yeah. And then, and then it's money that takes us out of that call, that lifelong call that God's given us. That's we, we, uh, so if you're a church leader, church leaders in the room, church leaders, any church leaders, what can we do to help change that culture in our churches? Um, what can we do to help our pastors? Another rabbit trail. So our pastors are just like the average American. I'm going to show you some average American stats just coming up, but I want you to just, I just want to point out that our pastors are in the same boat. Um, we have our pastors don't often get fringe benefits like health insurance or life insurance or retirement benefits. 72% in fact do not get even retirement benefits. So as a result, our pastors are not ready for retirement. When I say the median of our pastors is 20,000 in savings for retirement, median means 50% or that's the 50% mark. So 50% of our pastors have 19,000 or less. 50% of our pastors are not ready for retirement. Oh, because what's the average age of our pastors? In the high 50s. If you talk just about ordained level, it's in the low 60s. So our pastors are nearing retirement, and yet 50% of them only have 19,000 or less. Similarly, we don't have a lot of savings. We don't have a lot of uh, emergency fund savings. And if we had a, um, an auto repair, a third of us couldn't make it. And if we needed a new roof, a new furnace, two-thirds of us couldn't afford that. So my point being that in, whether it's in the church world or outside the church world, we're all, we're all kind of in the same boat. So in this book, Balanced Budget, Balanced Life, 10 Steps to Transforming Your Finances, these are the 10 steps. And I'm going to just kind of consolidate them into five principles just for our, our time today. Okay. So number one, this is going to be, uh, this is life-changing, all right? Life-changing, number one principle, spend less than you make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Class over. <laughs> yeah. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. But that is so hard. So hard. I'm going to use my kids as examples. They're not here. We have, Tammy and I have twins. They're 21-year-old twins, boy and girl. Uh, my son's finishing graduate school at Northwest University, an AG college out, out in Seattle area. Uh, he finishes up in May. My daughter got married two years ago, and she's now in ministry in Montana. And so both of our kids left us and went northwest. Kind of weird. 
Uh, so I'm going to just talk about them. I'm going to tell stories on them. That's what they get for leaving mom and dad. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. So two ways that help us do that, contentment and moderation. Contentment means i got to be satisfied with where I'm at today. I'm not happy with my situation. I don't want to stay here, but I'm content with my tennis shoes. I'm content with the jeans that I have. I'm content with my current house. I'm content with the, uh, that I don't get to go out to eat as often. I'm content with my old rusty car, as long as it's working. I'm content um, that we don't have a lot of nice things. I'm content that we don't look like the Joneses. I'm content that we don't go on the same vacations that the other people do. Growing up with our kids, uh, we, we taught them budgeting at an early age. I, I'm an accountant by, by degree, and so I just work with money. Tammy and I have had a budget our whole life. So the kids know it. We go driving through neighborhoods, nice cars, nice homes. Dad, how come we don't have a nice car? Dad, how come we don't have a nice home? I said, I said those people don't know Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really, I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it was kind of an easy answer at the time. <laughs> Had to teach my kids to be content with where we were in life. We would save up for special things. There were special occasions, certainly, but in their eyes, and, and we see it too, uh, it was just we didn't live the same type of life as everyone else. And that's what, mean, that's what moderation means, um, to spend less than you make. Now, moderation, it means the same thing even though we all have different incomes. Moderation means the same thing. It means we're going to spend less. It means we're going to, um, it doesn't mean we all shop at the same stores, because if you have a little bit more money, you can shop at a different store than I shop. Walmart. Yep. And, uh, and the uh, Aldi's. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Goodwill. What's our special? What's our special store? Target. Okay, but that's only on occasion. All right, yeah. Um, but we're but we might not buy the same food. We might buy the Equate brand at Walmart, uh, the store brands. The someone with more income can buy the, you know, the real Heinz ketchup. Um, but they still have to follow the same principle to spend less than you make, to be moderate in our spending. So, um, be different than everyone else, and moderation is the same for everyone. It just might look a little bit different based on your, uh, based on your income. So talking about my kids, we did get to take a vacation. We did get to go to Disney. We saved up for Disney. Um, but I want to tell you about two things that we did. We didn't, that, uh, <laughs> we split meals everywhere. You split meals. I mean, you do that kind of normally anyways. Um, so 
when Taylor, my daughter, got married, her honeymoon was at Disney. And so she's like calling me right before she's leaving. And she goes, yeah, we're going to Disney. She goes, do I have to split a meal <laughs> with, with my husband? I said, no, you're an adult now. <laughs> she was like, she thought about that. She's like, I'm going to Disney. I don't think I have to split meals. I better call my dad and check this out. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a little tip for you. Moderation. How do we control our spending? Have you, who's heard of the envelope system? Tammy and I have started the envelope. We had a budget since we got married. We use the envelope system. We <laughs> sometimes go back to it when we've... Uh, when we need to remind ourselves what it means. Um, the envelope system is a great way to help you moderate your spending. And so here's what it is. You're taking the five or six, seven categories of your budget, food, eating out, utilities, rent, clothing, gas. I make fun of my wife uh, getting your hair done. That's a big bucket. I do my hair myself. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. But you put those budget, you put, a, you put the amount for that budget line for that week on an envelope. And then you cash your paycheck and you put the cash into the envelope. And one of those envelopes needs to be savings. So you're going to split out your paycheck into these envelopes because that's what your budget looks like. So you're, it's a tangible picture of your budget. And then as the week goes along, or two weeks, however you want to structure this, um, you only spend out of the envelope. You don't use your credit card. You don't write checks. You don't use your debit card. Everything is coming out of this. And then when the, when the cash out of your uh, dining out envelope is empty, what do you do? That's what we normally do. We steal from another envelope, but that's not the right way. You're supposed to stop spending. So when that envelope is empty, you stop spending. And you quickly realize where maybe you've lost control over some of your spending uh, previously, right? So if that's gas and you've run out of gas and you've got to get to work, you've got to figure something out. Uh, you swipe it for what? Uh, then you can swap some money from the dining out. But, but the envelope is a great way to show yourself in a short amount of time where you're struggling at if you never really tracked your expenses. All right. So to sum up one, which is really the basis for all the other stuff, be content in your current situation. Be content with where you are. You've got goals. You want to change your life. You want to maybe have uh, a, be able to afford a different house. But right now, we're content with where we are. We're going to be moderate in our spending. We're going to be generous in our giving. Now, in the book, number 10, it, step number 10 is be generous. But we don't wait till step 10. It's not linear. We don't wait to number 10 to be generous. We're going to be generous all the way through this whole process because God is still going to ask you to give. And I don't recommend uh, you don't stop tithing. 
and you, stop, you don't stop giving your offering. I've heard other financial gurus tell you that. That you need to get out of, you need to stop your church giving while you get out of debt. I don't see that's what God says. Um, I believe that he blesses us when we help refresh others. In fact, that's what scripture says. We are refreshed when we refresh others. The person that is generous continues to build more and more. The person that's stingy never has enough. So God wants us to be generous, but while he's and while he's asking us to give, though, we're going to do our part to manage the rest that he allows us to keep. Okay, number two, set financial goals. We need to set financial goals. Financial goals will help you move from point A to point B. Two of those is the budget and a short-term emergency fund. So the budget, and I'll try to come back to this, a budget is not a dirty word. Um, it's actually a useful tool to help you reach your goals. It helps you set priorities for how you want to spend, how you want to spend or how you want to save, and your budget is just a blueprint to help you achieve it. Budgets can change. Budgets do change. When you have an in increase in income, you can change your budget. When you've, when you've reached a certain financial goal, like you were able to save for that car and you bought the car, now your budget needs to change because you're no longer saving for a car. Maybe you're, you're going to develop a new goal, um, and so your budget changes for that. But as we're trying to spend less than we make, that's what we call margin. And so your budget puts it on paper uh, in Excel, or in your envelopes, your budget will help you. It will show you if you've got margin. All of your income minus your expenses, there should be something left over. And that margin is what we use for our savings, like the short-term emergency fund. The, the, the easiest way to derail ourselves while we're trying to get um, out of financial stress is that some emergency happens and I will let you know it will happen your car will break down or your roof will leak or your appliances will break because it just happens and they always happen at the wrong time we had our oven break uh, like two days before Thanksgiving and it was our year to host 20 people <laughs> oh um, so how much in a short-term emergency fund? $1,000? Who else? What other numbers have you thought about as a short-term emergency fund? Three months is what I'm going to call our long-term emergency fund. And this is just, this is the Raleigh definition of short-term and long-term. So I want us to get up to the three to six months as a long-term savings. But I need, I need a little bit of cash right away, just as I'm getting started. So 1000 I think 1000 because any major car repair is 1000 bucks. It just seems that everything is now $1,000. <laughs> so I want 1000 to 1500 kind of set aside early as you get started in this journey. Because I don't, 
I don't want you to get derailed as you're trying to move forward with some kind of emergency. So I want you to create a short-term emergency fund first and then work up to the long-term. No, no, but in my mind, in my mind, I just want to have this safety net right away at the beginning of my journey of 1,000 to 1,500. And then I'm, I'm setting goals to increase that to three to six months, like you've heard. One of the things that Tammy and I do when we reach a goal, like I have a goal to hit 1,500 in my savings account, uh, my short-term emergency fund. Um, I'll set the goal at 1,700. And then when we, when we hit 1,700, we can take 200 and go splurge. Reward yourselves. Because you're not, usually you're not alone in this. If you're single, you're alone in this. But if you're married or you have kids, then the whole family needs to get involved in this. You need to be on the same page. The hardest part about trying to get a budget together is having both people agree to it. Okay, uh, um, so, and your kids need to be. So your kids understand that they keep, keep asking for, I want this, I want this, I want that. No, honey, we can't buy that. Our family's on a budget. <laughs> We're saving for this. And when we hit this goal, then the whole family's gonna go out to uh, whatever, Pizza Hut or Disney, whatever your budget allows, right? Yeah, yeah. So reward yourself, set your goals a little bit higher and then take, give yourself the freedom to spend it right then and there. And that is such a motivator, especially if it was three months or six months and then you have a, a, a reward for the whole family. Um, a year reward or a year or two goal, you know, maybe a bigger reward because that's a lot of time there. So. Reward yourself. That's a little tip there. Um, so what can we do to create margin in our budget? I've already said that many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. We're spending more than we make. Of course, using cash is a way. Because when we spend on debits or credit cards, we tend to spend more. Have you heard that? Have you seen that in your own life? So try to use cash as opposed to credit. You'll spend less. Surveys show that. Of course, you're always looking for bargains. Just, just be a little bit more diligent because this is the time when you need to uh, really cut down your expenses to create margin. Uh, Tammy and I always have a rule that we wait three to five days before we make a big purchase. Today, I r we really agree we need new furniture. And we're both ready to make the purchase. But if we wait three to five days, we might both say, oh, eh, I don't feel that way anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Does anyone have buyer's remorse? I'm the guy that has buyer's remorse. Any big purchase, I just rethink it. I hate doing it. So, yeah. So you've got a little trick for you guys is to keep um, most of your money 
in another account that takes three to five days to pull it back. So it's not liquid. It's not uh, day of. You don't have access to it. That's a good little trick. Yeah. Uh, three to five days. Oh, subscriptions. You know we are now a, a culture of subscriptions. Everything, and for the, you know, for the capitalists, that's a great, what a great way to create revenue and wealth for the capitalists. So put everything on a subscription. But it's easy for us to lose track of all those subscriptions, right? So first thing I would do if I was creating a budget, I would look at some of those subscriptions that I subscribe to that I pay every month or annually, and I would start cutting some of those. You just don't realize how some of those can creep up. Um, you're going to have to find other ways to have fun. I even, we used to window shop for fun, and now I'm, I don't like to window shop. It, it makes me want too many other things. I want that, I want that, and I want that. So now I'm tempted to spend. So now I don't like to window shop. So now you got to find other things. I remember one, one spring break, we couldn't take a trip, and the kids wanted to take a trip. So, <laughs> so we'd still laugh about this. So we said, okay, kids, we're going to do a, a staycation. A staycation. We're going to stay at home, uh, but we're going to visit every city park in Springfield, Missouri. I don't. There actually were a lot. It really was. So we thought we'd just picked up on something really cool. It was free. By the third or fourth park, the kids were like, okay, I've seen enough swings and jungle gyms. How come we can't go to Disney? <laughs> um, and then lastly, kind of a tip. Watch who you're hanging out with. <laughs> this is the only time. Well, no, I don't. Let's see. Uh, that might be good advice for a lot of reasons, but... This is the one time when hanging out with really rich people could hurt you, unless you have good self-control. Because if you're going to want, if you're always hanging around with them and you want their lake house or their boat or their nice house or their vacation home or the trip to France, you know, if that's the people that you're hanging around, be careful because you're going to tend to want the same things. Now, vice versa, it does work if you're trying to increase your your uh, your um, your skill set. If you want to know how to manage money, you hang around people who manage money well. If you want to learn how to be an entrepreneur, you hang around with people who've started two or three businesses. So on the on the opposite side, that's a great tool. But just be careful if they have a different lifestyle than you. You've got to you've just got to tell yourself that we're different on purpose because we've got some financial goals to make. Right? Okay. If you thought there was no more tips, I have 102 more tips right here in the back of the book. Appendix B, Appendix A, 102 more tips on how to increase your income and reduce your expenses. So check that out. All right, so Raleigh, I have a budget, but I don't know if I'm right. I spend 50% of my income on eating out. Is that normal? Here's a couple of different ideas for you to, to, to look at and maybe even use as you're creating your first budget. This is from the 
from the government, Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is the average of what the average American spends. So use this as your first, your first envelope. You've got uh, charity, 3%. Hey, that's a good number. But that's what the average American spends. Housing is 25% of your, of your expenses. Food is 10%. Transportation is 12%. Health is 6 Personal and family is 7%. Other, whatever, 5%. Taxes is 14%. That's a pretty good tax rate. And then savings, 18%. I'm really surprised that that's what the survey shows, but I'm very happy. Savings of almost 20%. So if you want to create your first budget, stick to this. Now, of course, let's go a little higher in charity. So it has to come off for somewhere else. But, but that's a great, that's one way to take a look at that. You can start and then see how your family, how it, how it feels for you. Work it for a month, two months, three months. If you need to tweak something, that's okay. You're still, the goal is to create margin, what we call savings. And if it can be as high as 18%, that is awesome. We'll talk about what you do with savings in just a few minutes. Another budget method is the 50-30-20 method. Has anyone heard of that? 50% needs, 30% wants, and 20% savings. I like this because it allows us to have the wants in our budget. So many times we think the budget just won't allow me to have any fun. But this one says, I'll give you 30% fun. So that's kind of nice. But 50% is all your housing and your family needs and, and medical and utilities. Your wants could be like eating out, vacation. Yes? Yeah, and uh, I'm, I don't know if you're adding, like, I have no other time for a second job or a third job or a fourth job. But, again, that's the really, those, those are the two answers, is getting an additional job or cutting more of your expenses. Getting more income or reducing your expenses. And, and if you get to the point where you think you've maxed out all of your extra free time, I already have the second and third job, Raleigh. I'm still not making ends meet. Then, then it's kind of a lifestyle change saying, well, maybe it's a different job. Maybe it's a whole different, and that's something to really think about. Um, this, these minimum wage jobs aren't it. I need to maybe uh, uh, get a different skill set. And so now I have a different goal. I got to pay for some schooling to get a different skill set so I can get a different job. And that's a little bit more long term, but it could be something to think about. Okay. So these are some budget ideas for you. Sh the difference between short-term and long-term emergency fund, we were getting there just a little bit ago. This is what you're going to use your margin for, your savings. First, get up to maybe $1,000 quickly, quickly, so that you can still continue on your financial journey and not be set aside if you have an appliance or auto repair. 
Then your three to six months is your long-term emergency fund. And COVID was a great illustration on why this was so important. Jobs, we lost jobs. Uh, our businesses shut down. We got sick. <laughs> it, was, it was everything all in one, and we called it the pandemic. So um, it gave us a real-life example of why we needed three to six months of living expenses. This is living expenses. This is, this is like all of the needs, what you really need to get by. So it may not be your whole budget, three to six months of your whole budget, because if you don't have a job, you're going to cut back on some things. But three to six months of your, of your necessary expenses is how you calculate that. Okay, number three. Watch out for the budget busters. And what are those three areas? They're credit cards, they're our debt, and they're this thing that's, that's creeping up on our young folks called buy now, pay later. All right, so credit cards. Look at these, look at these. This is the average American. We have a total debt of 165,000. Our mortgage, if we have a mortgage, it's up to 222,000. If we have credit card debt, it's 17,000. If we have student loans, it's at $58,000. If we have auto loans, it's at 28,000. This is just a few months ago. That's just staggering, and that's hard to get out from under. Um, both of my kids have student loans. I'm hoping that Biden's student loan uh, forgiveness comes through for them. As a taxpayer, I hope it never goes through. But, for, but if Biden pays it, then I don't have to. So I, this one's, a, I'm torn, you guys. I am just really torn. I'm going to pay, exactly. <laughs> Credit cards, 17000 Credit cards are the easiest way to get ourselves into debt. We lose control of our spending in, within 30 days because you don't really see that bill until the statement comes and you have lost control. What do you think the number of Americans who do not pay off their credit card every month? What's the number? It's 60%. 60% do not pay off their credit card bill every month. That's staggering. So what does that mean? You're paying, well, you might be paying late fees, but you're certainly paying the interest on the unpaid balance. So let's go to credit cards real quick. Uh, they're the, no, I, okay. Credit, credit cards don't have your best interest at heart. They do want to help you buy things, but they don't have your best interest. They'll let you borrow 250% more than you can conceivably pay. You know, you tell them how much your income is, and then they, they set it at 250% more, your credit limit. <laughs> They'll charge you a late fee and interest, but they won't stop you from charging, right? Not until way down the road when it's way too late. The other thing was debt, right? Here's the debt snowball method. So the way to get out of debt, I like the debt snowball method. It is like list your, your debts um, in order from lowest to highest. In the debt snowball method, which is different than the debt avalanche method. 
Interest rates don't matter. It's the amount of the payoff. So we start with the smallest, and we try to throw as much extra income as we can to that monthly minimum payment to pay it off sooner. Once we have that all paid off, then we then we hit the car loan next. Now my goal, and this is the challenge, and this is a hard challenge, I want you to try to throw $100 extra a month at your debt. That's how you're going to move the needle. And every, and I just lost everybody. You all hate me. You're like, Raleigh, where am I going to get an extra $100 a month? I know that. I know that. I know. I, I know. But, but an extra $100, changing that 55 to 155 will get that first loan paid off a whole lot sooner than just paying it on their timetable. Time so we're reducing expenses the best we can. We're cutting ex uh, subscriptions. Uh, my kids did not know what cable was, cable television was, until they got into high school. We just always had over-the-air rabbit ears antenna. Uh, and again, why does there, why does everyone have cable, Dad? Because they don't love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or getting a second job. Now, now here's where, even if you earned a hundred dollars extra a month at a minimum wage job, that's not a lot of hours. That's twelve dollars an hour, ten hours a month is one hundred twenty. So even even a small part time job can get you over the hump. For six months, for 10 months, you might just be able to do that for that short amount of duration, you guys. It might just motivate you for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months to be able to pay off that first debt, and now you've got an extra $155 that you're going to throw to the next car loan. And can you imagine the difference you're going to make there? And then when you pay off your car loan, then you're going to throw it at your student loan. So this is a, a multi-month event. Um, but it gives you a lot of motivation to keep going, the debt snowball method. The debt avalanche is the opposite. It takes the highest interest rate um, and, and tackles that first. In this case, it was the same item. That was just coincidence. But it might take you longer. It might be a large balance, and so it's going to take you much longer. And so I don't mind either one. Mathematically, they both work out about the same, but motivate for but for my motivation, I like the debt snowball because I'm taking the smallest one first and I'm going to wipe it off and I like checking the box. So if I can get that off my check to-do list, that makes me happy. Any questions about that, the debt snowball? Um, buy now, pay later was the, the third obstacle that I put on this. You guys, this is, this is something that you need to teach your young people. Um, the Gen Z's did a survey and they said, what do you think? Uh, rank credit cards, rank debit cards, and this buy now, pay later. We called it layaway growing up. But layaway, you couldn't take it home. You had to pay for it first and then take it home. Well, nowadays, we just buy it and then we're deferring the payments. Buy now, pay later. And they look good to our young people because they're zero interest for six months. Um, and that's good until you don't pay it at the six months, and then you're paying all that interest and fees. But the Gen Z said that credit cards are bad, 
we've done a great job at telling them that credit cards are bad, but debit card is good and buy now pay later is good. So they don't see the, they equate cash with buy now pay later. They equate it, there's no negativity there. But they're using the buy now pay later to pay for TVs, clothes, even groceries. Why would you defer your groceries? Um, so what this is, is when you're at a checkout screen online, there's, would you like to, and there's, it's all digital. Your kids are all digital. They're not going into the store and buying anything. But at the checkout screen, there is, would you like six months, same as cash? And uh, there's some, several companies that, that are doing that at the checkout screen. So they're doing it. But what's the risk that they, that they're delinquent, right? And that's what's happening. The delinquency on buy now, pay later that our Gen Z kids are using is higher than credit card delinquency. So our kids are using it, um, but they're failing. And now they're, they're incurring a lot of extra fees and penalties because of that. So talk to your kids about that. Is there any debt that I like, Raleigh? Yeah. I can't afford a home, so I do have a mortgage. Um, and of course, my my kids, I have my kids' college education. But if I can avoid it, I'm going to avoid car loans, credit card loans. I'm going to avoid putting my groceries on on debt. Um, how much debt is good? There's a debt, to, if, you, if you work with metrics or ratios, the debt to income ratio, less than 35%, you can afford it. Not saying that it's good, it just means that you can probably afford that debt if it's less than 35%, debt to income, debt divided by total income. All right, I thought I'd throw it out there to say, you know, you're not bad if you have debt. Let's just try to get out from under debt. Number four. Principle number four, set yourself up for future success. Set yourself up for future success. That long-term emergency fund, retirement, we need to set some goals for retirement, start saving for retirement now. College fund, if you have kids. Life insurance is one way to help, help minimize risk, like of if you pass away, how will your family be taken care of for a small cost. And so, we have life insurance because we still have an unmarried son. Uh, and I have life insurance so Tammy can, you know, grieve on a beach. <laughs> if I pass away. She'll appreciate that. So life insurance is good while you might have mortgages and kids at home, large debts. That's going to help you cover that. But if you're well off, if you're in your retirement years and everything's paid for and you no longer, there's no one else to take care of, then you might, you can forego, forego the life insurance expense. But life insurance is a good thing to think about in these middle years. Single. Debt. Someone you, to cover your, so you're, I'm stepping outside of my, my, I'm stepping into the legal area about who has to pay your debt if you pass away. And uh, so that's what life insurance would cover if your 
family or extended family was responsible. And I just don't know the answer to that. That was good. That was employer-sponsored life insurance plan. So that's pretty cool. Some companies do that. All right, let's talk about, of course, we know that college is expensive. It's in the news. It's a, it's a political football right now. Um, but college is just crazy expensive. And if you can help your kids go to college, that's wonderful. If you want your kids to pay for college, that's also wonderful. Um, but just know that you know 27,000 a year is a lot to try to help them get ready for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's where it gets crazy, though. And both of my kids went to Bible colleges with Bible degrees. Um, you know, the expert, the rational person would tell you, your debt shouldn't exceed your first year's salary. But yeah, we, I gave you the stats that says an AG minister's salary is 30000 And all of our kids have more than 30000 I mean... I mean, uh, the average school debt is more than 30000 It's 60000 on that other chart. So there's a lot of talking with our kids, and it shouldn't start in high school. It should start earlier, because if this is your goal, one of your goals in your budget, then you're going to start saving for college up front and early while your kids are still young. Yeah. How am I doing? appreciate that thank you yeah so start talking about that early with your kids like hey we're going to do two years with our gen ed and then go on to a different possibly let's spend a little bit of time on retirement again it's something we need to plan for early in our budget so that we can be ready at retirement because we've got some stats to show that most of us aren't ready for retirement 
Um, that show that we're uncomfortable thinking about retirement. We're not quite sure if we're going to be able to make ends meet in retirement. For most of, there's four different legs of retirement savings, but most of us are only going to have three of these legs. The pension is an employer uh, payment, which are really going out. Uh, and, and some pension funds are going bankrupt. So this, this probably isn't an option for many of us. If you have a pension, that's awesome. But most of us are going to have to have Social Security. We're going to pay in, we pay into Social Security. Now, Social Security is only designed to cover 40% of your, um, think about, let's just use 100000 as your, when you retire, you were earning 100000 All those years you paid into Social Security, Social Security is only designed to pay you 40000 at retirement. That's how it's designed. It's only designed to cover 40% of that wage, your last wage right before retirement. So you can't live on just Social Security. Um, so our, our employers offer the 401ks or the 403bs, um, but only half of our employers have an employer-sponsored plan. And if they do, max it out. Start, start contributing. Sometimes there's an automatic contribution for you, but then there's a match. If you'll contribute, your employer will contribute. Please do that because that's just some free money and you'll love it in the end when you're on the beach with my wife. <laughs> but if you don't, if you're not one of the 47%, you're going to have to save your own retirement. And then there's all kind there's different kinds out there. Uh, traditional or IRAs and Roth. Life insurance. No, I don't think so. As long as you're paying the premiums, you'll get you'll get the payouts. No, no, it's just as you get older, they start charging you more because you're you the uh, the uh, probability that you will die and they have to pay out becomes more higher. Uh, most, so term life insurance, you don't get anything for it. There's something called whole life insurance where there is a savings component. Yep, yep. Whole, whole lot of information out there on that. Qu question back there. Cool. Right. Health savings account with your insurance, your health insurance. All right, I love it. So, um, so if some of this is new to you, start learning about it and start putting it in your budget because you'll you'll thank us later in life. So, if you get to be sixty-five. The studies show you will live another 20 years. Once you get 65, you will live 20 more years. And your health insurance in retirement is $280,000. So you already know you've got to... You, 
you already know that you need at least 280,000 just to cover your health insurance bills in retirement. Um, so that's the minimum, and that's nothing to live on yet. And you need it for 20 years. So can you see how the number that you need for retirement is just, it's a really big number. If you're young, you need to save around seven to nine percent. If you're just starting off in your 20s, that's a good number. If you're waiting till 45 or 55 to start saving for retirement, like this most of us do, you're going to need 17 to 20 percent. Well, um, plus all those other goals that you have in your budget, like removing debt and long-term savings account, uh, emergency fund. So. Just so much more to think about than our daily needs. That's why we need to make some financial goals. All right. Um, if you were starting early, if you were 30, Fidelity says this. One times your annual salary. If you're 50, you need to have six times of your annual salary already saved up. Because by the time you're retiring, if you had, here's where their math says. If you had 10 times your salary, let's say it's 100,000. If you had a million is that 10 times? If you had a million saved up, that million will take you through 20 years um, with some, you're still growing it in the stock market and things like that. So if you can save 10 times your salary by the time you retire, that should car carry you for 20 years with good financial management. Make sense? Those are some big numbers to shoot for. But I love it that it kind of gives you some age-based ranges to help you shoot for. All right, I told you I want to talk about my kids. They hate this because my son lost in this comparison. My daughter wins. Um, the power of compound interest. Why do we start early and we start saving early and we invest our retirement account? Taylor invests 4000 per year at age 20, and after five years, she stops. She doesn't invest anything in retirement ever again. So she's put 20000 in in five years uh, at by age 25. Aaron waits until he's 45 and invests 10000 a year for the next 20 years. So he invests 200000 Which chart represents which scenario? This one here. $20,000 invested by age 25 can grow to half a million dollars by retirement. Where if you wait till you're 45, when you're middle, middle age, you have some good income, and now you're going to start thinking about retirement, you've got to you know, put 200000 in in over 20 years to get that same level of return. So that's just the power of compound interest. My kids love this. And so here's what they say to me. They're 21. They'll remind me about every year. Dad, I'm almost 25. When are you going to give me that 20,000? <laughs> I said, that's not the point. You're supposed to be putting it away, not me. But they want that 20,000. There's a few more assumptions. You guys can know that there's a few more assumptions there. But that's just to tell you, start now, start early, and it will grow for you. And don't look at the current year's recession. No, no, I don't have that level of expertise or, but, you know, uh, 
you hear some names. Talk with a financial advisor, and uh, many of them would meet you for free for the first initial time, and then you can ask them questions like that. One more math, one more math for you. Raleigh, how much, I know I need a lot. Um, I know my social security, because you get your social security statements, you can go online and find them. And right now it estimates that I'm only gonna have $1,000 a month or 12,000 a year. Um, but I really wanna live on 36,000 a year. So if you have your social security number, and you know what you want, there's calculators out there to help you figure out what you need to start saving for. And I just wanted to point that out. And agfinancial.org is our minister's retirement account in Springfield, Missouri. But they've got calculators like this. A lot of people do, Dave Ramsey has calculators. But, but if you needed 3,000 a month, but you're only gonna get 1,000 from Social Security, you need to find another 2,000 per month. This calculator there would say, I need to have 330,000 extra saved in my retirement account by age 65. And so what, that's the goal. I need 330,000 in the next 20 years. That's a financial goal that you can put in your budget and make it work. So there's calculators that can help you figure that out. All right, last, last principle, leave a legacy, leave a legacy. Once we've done all we can with our our resources, it's not just to benefit us. It's not just so that we can retire on the beach, but it's so that we can continue to bless others, right? Okay, one minute. If you have a family, if you have kids, teach them, model this. Teach, model, and celebrate when you're reaching some of these goals. Bring them involved in the conversation. They'll, they'll learn a lot. When my daughter got engaged, she had her boyfriend come talk to me. He brought a, a budget. I, ta Taylor said to him, she says, you gotta go ask my dad, but you better have a budget. I never said that that was a rule, but she just knew me. And she says, you better have a budget. And so he brings this little budget. It, it had some holes, it had some gaps. He didn't have all of his, ex his uh, living expenses on it, but I loved the attempt. And so I, and plus Taylor said I had to say yes. So be generous along the journey, bless others. Money can buy happiness. Do you think money can buy happiness? Hold on, listen. There's two studies that I mentioned in the book. They gave two groups of people, gave you $5 and gave half of you $20 and then gave you $5 and $20 and said, this group, you get to keep it and spend it on yourself. This group, you have to spend it on someone else. And so they come back and they measure their, their level, their happiness level. And this group, is a trick question, this group had more happiness, and it didn't matter whether they gave away the $5 or the $20, this group had more happiness than this group that kept it for themselves. So. Money can buy happiness as long as you're being generous <laughs> to others, which is one of the ways that God blesses us. All right, guys, that's our time. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, I'll stick around for a little bit.